All right, everybody, take your Bibles out, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. All right, Genesis chapter 15. Bow your heads with me in the word of prayer. Lord Father, we just thank you so much, O God, for your presence, your manifest presence here in the sanctuary. And God, we're praying that God, as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we look to your word for your word is truth, we come against the works of the enemy right now. And we bind up every distracting spirit in the name of Jesus. We come against you and command you to be cast off of every mind, every heart, every emotion in this place. We come against you by the blood of the Lamb. And God, we pray that you would release a spirit of wisdom revelation here as we look into your word. And may, oh God, Lord, you bring forth a mighty fruit in our lives. 160, 30 fold of what, that which is sown. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look with me in Genesis chapter 15. Read with me from verse 4 through 6. Let's look at the word of God together. And now, uh, before I read, uh, we've been covering a series of sermons. If this is your first time today, uh, we've been covering a series of sermons on developing your sense of call. Right? So let's, uh, let's see if we can review all these right now. Okay. So we have, this is the fifth part and what i believe is a five-part series and i believe today is the is the last sermon so so uh yeah i know hallelujah all right so we'll we'll see we'll see how, how, how uh the lord eats but i'll probably uh preach something else this, i think it's the longest series i've ever done actually so uh so praise god all right praise god all right so first uh message in developing your sense of call was to all right to keep first things first Keep your relationship with God first, right? Keep priority on your character because God's concerned more about who you're becoming than what you can do for him, right? Obedience is first. He's not looking for grand sacrifice. He's looking for you to just specifically obey him, even in humble ways. Uh, Second message that we covered in developing your sense of call, get under authority, right? God develops a person's sense of call when they're in submission to authority. All right, there's a covering, there's a protection, there's a training that comes through being submitted under authority. And we saw that even when that authority is tainted, even if that authority is not perfect and it's even uh, that authority is living in sin, if that's the spiritual authority God has called you to submit under, you are to submit. And we saw that with the examples of David and King Saul. We saw how even prophet Samuel was trained up under the authority of, of, of uh, Eli, who was already rejected as a priest of the Lord. Our God does these things. Third message we covered. <laughs> the testing of your faith. Your calling will only be as strong as the test that God has brought you through. If your calling is not tested, if it is not pressured, if it is not you know, if God tests you and you react a certain way, the test didn't cause that reaction. The test simply exposed what was truly in your heart. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So the testing of our faith, I was teaching how we need not to despise the testing of our faith. Because God does that to build our sense of call. And we saw that with the example of Abraham when God tested him regarding Isaac. And last week we covered... Right, finding marriage in the mundane. Uh, I think a better title for the message would have been just to glorify God in the mundane. But uh, so many people are wanting marriage. I just threw marriage out there. Uh, um, no, but we also saw that it was a beautiful love story that God was putting together between Rebecca and Isaac. Right? But how did Rebecca find her Isaac? Right? Just glorifying God in the mundane, carrying that water jar day in and day out. 
right? And we saw how God develops your sense of calm in the mundane things. So even if, if you're in a season right now where you're doing mundane things, if you're the butler, if you're just uh, the cupbearer, if you are, um, what was the other example I used? If you're a shepherd, if you're doing these mundane things, all right, don't despise that, period. Don't be uh, unfaithful with that assignment because God's developing your sense of call in those mundane assignments. Because we know that we saw uh, the cupbearer is Nehemiah, and he went on to build the walls uh, of the temple. And we saw the shepherd boy became the king of Israel. And we saw that the, uh, what was the other example? I just said cupbearer. And the butler, hallelujah, is Joseph, who be, and went on to become the prime minister of Egypt. Hallelujah. So we saw how God develops our sense of call in the mundane. Amen. So we are up to today's message. If you're ready for the message, let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. Look at Genesis 15, verses 4 through 6. Read the word of God with me. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Amen. Excuse me. You know, on a clear night sky, away from the city lights, if you look up toward the heavens, you know what you see? Especially when the moon's not out. Right? You see stars. The night sky is just filled with stars. And actually, when, when uh, it's, it's really, really uh, filled with stars, I mean, it, it, it doesn't look like black with white dots. It looks like white with black spots. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, on my mission trip to Kazakhstan, uh, there weren't many lights out there in some of, the, some of the rural areas. And I just looked up and I was like, wow, there's a lot of stars up there. You know, back in Philadelphia, we would be lucky if we saw the Little Dipper. You know, we'd be like, oh, I think that's a Little Dipper or something like that, you know. We don't really see the stars here in Seoul, right? But if you go out on the clear night sky... You see the sky is just filled with stars. And if you try to count them, you find that it's an impossible task. Because scientists will tell you, there are millions and billions of stars out there. They're discovering them all the time. Now, why do you think God called Abram to count the stars? Why is God asking Abraham to do the impossible? It's like God wakes me up and says, Hey, Christian, go outside to the basketball court, pick up this basketball, now jump up and dunk. All right? It's like God's telling Abraham to do something impossible. Now, why would God do this? Why did God call Abraham to go outside and count the stars? And I believe that God had him do this Because God was developing his sense of calm. You see, word pictures, illustrations, visions, they're very powerful. That's because they tend to get burned in our minds, right? So that's why God uses uh, visions quite frequently to speak to us. We know here in this church there's a lot of people that get visions, uh, words of knowledge through visions, right? And in fact, this encounter in chapter 15 was actually, if you look in verse 1, Abraham got this encounter in a vision. All right. So God uses these like word pictures, illustrations, and visions because he knows they're very powerful. And with this counting of the stars, God was trying to show Abram the greatness of his plans and promise. God was trying to say, you see this call that I've given you? It's big. It is so big. And then Abram's like, oh, I I believe that it is. Yeah, okay, all right. 
But he, Abram really didn't have a scope of it. So God said, look up in the skies and try to count the stars. So shall your offspring be. Right? God's trying to use these like visions and word pictures to give Abram a sense of scope to his call. Now, brothers and sisters, if you want to develop your sense of call, you've got to learn to count the stars. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. You've got to learn how to count the stars. Now, we're not talking about like, you know, like Johnny Depp and, and Tom Cruise. All right? We're not counting those stars. We is counting stars. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you got to continually set before your eyes visions of the amazing promises that God has for you. That's what I mean by counting the stars. You got to see yourself being a blessing to the nations. That's what I mean when I say count the stars. You got to dream big dreams. God doesn't want you to dream small. He wants you to dream big. Amen? Amen. If God wanted you to dream big, I mean, if he wanted you to dream small, actually, you know what he would have told Abraham? He would have said, go outside and count the chickens. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, we do not serve a God who's telling telling us to count the chickens. He's telling us to count the stars. Amen? Amen? Dream big. Envision big plans, mighty purposes. That's what I mean by count the stars. And counting the stars, brothers and sisters, has several benefits for us. All right, number one. When you count the stars, it makes you excited. You know, God had Abram count the stars because God wanted to get Abram excited about God's call for his life. All right, God's trying to get them excited. And when we envision God's purpose, plan, and promise for ourselves, it should make us go, wow, yeah, like excited. You know, some of us, we look at like a video of a roller coaster and guess us excited, yeah. Or we see like an awesome dunk, um, name a play, LeBron James, right? We do see an awesome dunk, we go, yeah, we get excited about different things that we see, right? But brothers and sisters, when we look at the call of God for our lives, it should get us excited. It should make us go, wow. You know what? Some people are not excited about life because they're oblivious about God's call for their life. They have no sense of call. They have no meaning or purpose. They spend more time. I'm speaking the truth here. They spend more time living vicariously through movies, celebrities, TV shows, Korean dramas. They spend more time living vicariously through these things because they feel that their own life is quite boring. Right? They don't deal with life. They rather live vicariously through TV shows because when they look at their own life, it's, they, just, they, they don't have a sense of that God's call. And so they just go, man, my life is so boring. I don't want to deal with my life. Let me go here and live it. Live it through friends. Let me live it through, uh, I don't know, heroes. I don't know. Some of the TV shows that are out there. Right? And you know what? The, the, the devil makes them get excited about a celebrity's career and love life while people despise their own. Or we look down on other celebrities' love lives. Right? These kinds of attacks keep us uninspired to live our own life with faith and expectation. And we end up just sitting on our butts and doing nothing. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, that for every true and born again believer, God has a plan, an amazing plan for your life. Amen? Amen. God has an amazing plan for your life. Amen? Amen? And if we will learn to count the stars, it will keep us excited about life. It will keep us full of faith for what is to come. Hallelujah. You know, some people have a hard time surrendering their heart and will to God because they think God's plans are boring or typical or predictable. That's the lies of the enemy. I'm here to tell you today, God's plans are crazy, unpredictable, 
Amazing. Man, no human drama writer can write the kinds of dramas God's putting together right now. But it's good drama because they have good endings. Brothers and sisters, don't live life hopeless and thinking the best is behind you. I'm here to tell you the best is in front of you. When you count the stars, it gives you that faith and expectation to be excited about life. Another benefit, um, actually, before I go on, let me tell you a little st- story. <clears throat> when I was single, one thing that kept me excited about life was my future marriage. <clears throat> Some people are given the gift of singleness, but I knew that I had a desire to get married, and I knew if I submitted that desire before the Lord, that he would honor it. So quite regularly, I will count the stars of marriage. I will continually imagine my bride walking down the aisle. And I would imagine myself in a nice tux looking good. I would imagine us at our honeymoon. I would imagine us worshiping together and serving together. I would count the stars of marriage. And this counting of the stars, they would often, it would often get me very excited and joyful. And it kept me excited about God's amazing plans for my marriage, my wedding, my ministry. Hallelujah. And it also made me depend on God to bring those plans to pass. Hallelujah. And which brings me to my second point. Counting the stars, it makes us dependent on God. Counting the stars makes us dependent on God. When God said, look toward the heavens, number the stars, so shall your offspring be. I don't think Abraham was like, oh yeah, I could do that. Right? He was blown away. It's, it was so amazing. He was just completely blown away. And when you count the stars, it should make us say, what? How will my offspring be as numerous as the stars. That's crazy. I can't do that. Right? I don't even have a child of my own yet. That's what Abraham was saying. Right? God, I'm, I'm going mean, to... I'll be like, I don't even have a seminary degree. And God, and God I'm going to... If I'm going to... If I'm going to see these plans fulfilled, I'm going to have to really trust and depend on you. See, counting the stars, it causes us to depend on God because we see how big this vision is. And when you count the stars, the dreams you should see should be so big that it causes you to depend on God to fulfill them. Uh, You know, brothers and sisters, we were made for a purpose much bigger than the ones that we can imagine for ourselves. Let me say that again. We were made for a purpose much bigger than the ones that we can imagine for ourselves. And when we start to really get our head around how amazing God's plans are, it causes us to depend on him. Because without him, there is no hope that they will ever be fulfilled. (coughs) Number three, counting the stars stretches our faith. Look at Genesis 15.6. Genesis 15.6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Amen. You know, um, if you turn a couple chapters earlier to chapter 13, this was actually, chapter 15 was not the first time God told Abraham to count the stars or do, to do something like it. Look at um, chapter 13, verse 16. God told Abraham, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. And then he says, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And then he said, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Then he said, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. God's like, Abraham, you see that dust? Try to count that dust. Abraham's like, That's impossible, Lord. I know. That's that's what your offspring is going to be like. God's like, look look out over this land, this foreign land that right now is not yours. If someone else is possessing it, but check it out. I want you to rise up. I want you to walk through it. But it's a big land, Lord. I want you to walk through it, walk around it, walk with breath, length, whatever. Walk through it. See how big it is. Because I'm about to give it to you all. You see, <coughs> when Abraham considered the dust and he walked through the land, I'm telling you, Abraham's faith grew with each step he took to measure out that land. Every time he saw dust being kicked up, he was like, oh, my, my offspring is going to be like that. And his faith was being stretched. It was growing. And every time he walked through that land, I'm telling you, his faith was rising up. In other words, after telling, um, hallelujah, I lost my place, over here, hallelujah, after, uh, no, no, not after, and that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. God's like, I will give you the promised land. And you know, each one of us, we have different promised lands that God's telling us about, speaking to us about. Right, and And God's saying, I want you to rise up and I want you to walk through it. Look around. See how big it is because I'm going to give it to you. And why does God tell even the Israelites to walk around Jericho? Why does he do that? Why does he do stuff like that? Measure out. See how big Jericho really is. Why does he do stuff like that? Because he knows that every time that army encircled Jericho, their faith was rising up. Hallelujah. This is what we need to do. And with each step we take to survey the promised land, our faith is going to rise up. Amen? Amen. How do we know Abraham's faith grew? Well, by the time that God tells him to count the stars two chapters later, what does the Bible say? Abraham believed the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. Right? Earlier chapters didn't say that. Right? I'm telling you, in between, Abraham was looking at the dust, he was walking the land. His faith was growing. And then when God came to him that next time and told him to count the stars, Abraham was like, you know what? I believe you, Lord. Because his faith was growing. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, even after chapter 15, each day that Abraham walked through the length and breadth of the land, kicking up the dust, his faith was growing. And each night Abraham laid down his head. And he looked up at the night sky and saw how many stars there were. His faith was growing. Every time he counted the stars, Abraham's faith was growing. So that we get to chapter 22, Abraham's faith had been stretched. It had grown so much that it was unwavering. So that when his test was, when his faith was tested and God told him to kill his only son Isaac, Abraham was actually going to do it. Counting the stars, brothers and sisters, it stretches our faith. Let me talk to the church right now, New Philadelphia. When I talk to y'all about raising up 300 mighty leaders, when I talk to y'all about reaching 500 of total attendance and then going on to plant new churches, when I talk to y'all about going into the promised land, whatever that is, when I talk to y'all about the Niagara anointing, about North Korea's doors opening up, when I talk to you about signs and wonders and healings and miracles, when I talk about raising up a mighty army to go out into the nations, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the church to count the stars. A lot of times people are like, man, calm down, Christian. Calm down, Pastor Christian. We know. You talk about it every week. 
Why am I doing that? I'm doing that so I can get y'all excited. Hallelujah. Count the stars, brothers and sisters here. You know, I don't want to see people here just attend church once a week. If church is going to be like that, you know what? I'm out. Peace out. It's not the kind of church I wouldn't want to be a part of. And I've been part of those kinds of churches in the past. Hallelujah. I don't want y'all to just attend church once a week. I want y'all to go out, come out with a vision and a purpose. In the King James Version, it says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. We need to be a church of vision. Hallelujah. And we need to have vision and we need to keep that vision before us. Only way we're going to do that is if we count the stars. I want you all to get excited. I want you to be dependent on God to bring these plans to pass. And the more, the more you count the stars, the more you pray. The more you count the stars, hallelujah, the more your faith will be stretched. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And as I mentioned these benefits to counting the stars, I hope that, brothers and sisters, you begin to make it a regular practice in your life. Whether it's for the church or whether it's for yourself personally. Count those stars, brothers and sisters. Envision the promised land before you. Begin to visit that promised land frequently. Walk over it and claim it. Whether it's a dream job, a future ministry, or a business, I want you to claim it. Hallelujah. The Lord is telling us to count the stars. If you want your sense of call to develop, we've got to learn to count the stars. You've got to learn how to keep the vision of God before you. The vision of innumerable innumerable influence and fruit. Hallelujah. That, that, the, that vision that God is, you know is God is inspiring deep into your heart. Hallelujah. So if you want to develop your sense of God, don't forget to count the stars. Read with me back into the original passage, verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 through 11. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey, when like these vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What a bizarre um, passage there, right? (coughs) Uh, I'm not going to go deep into it uh, because... We're going to stay on the scope of this message. Uh, there's, some, there's some deep stuff going on here. One day I'll, I'll, I'll touch upon it. Um, but what's going on here is verse 8, God, uh, Abraham asks a very interesting question. He says, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess the promised land? Right? How am I supposed to know? Show me like a sign or something. How am I supposed to know? And God responds by telling him what? seems like God doesn't even, like, deal with his question. God just says, oh, go, go, go get these animals. They got to be three years old. Go get them and bring them and sacrifice them. Okay, ask yourself, why did God do that? Why did God do that? <clears throat> you know, there are five animals mentioned here. And... Each of these animals had a price. They had a price. You know, maybe um, we, we don't really raise livestock for a living, so we can't really relate. But let's say uh, equivalent will be like, I don't know, your Hyundai Sonata that's three years old. Or your, uh, your uh, really, really nice $300 shoes. Or, or your, you know, $500 suit or something like that. You know, something that costs you something, God tells Abraham, Take five of those items and I want you to sacrifice it to me. So it's like today's equivalent telling God telling you to take five 
costly items and offer it to the church or, or, or burn it up. I don't know. Just offer it to the Lord somehow. That's what God tells Abraham in response to Abraham's inquiry for a sign. So in other words, after telling Abraham to count the stars, God is now telling Abraham to count the cost. Somebody say, count the cost. Count the cost. Now, God is telling Abraham that before his offspring will possess the promised land, there's going to be a cost. How will you know? You will know when you see your descendants paying the cost. Read, um, read 12 through 14. Check this out. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Abraham asked, how am I to know that I shall possess the promised land? And God says, this is how you're known. When your offspring find themselves afflicted under slavery. That's how you know. Uh, it's really unusual, but this is, this is, and I believe what God is saying is, count the stars. Abraham, count the stars. The promise of my call is amazing and great. But the cost of this call is also great. Somebody with me? Is somebody with me? I'm just speaking to somebody here. Hallelujah. Look at, look, look at um, Luke 14. Turn to Luke 14. Everybody who has their Bible. Turn to Luke 14. Look at Luke 14. Hallelujah. Check this out. Verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. That's Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them. Look, check this out. There's great crowds following Jesus. Right. What if great crowds next Sunday, they come to our church? Like a thousand people show up and we just got no space and we have to do like three services all of a sudden. You know what we do? We'd be like, hey, praise the Lord. Yeah. But you know what Jesus does? Turns to them. Because all these people, they're getting excited. They're counting them stars. They're getting excited. They're like, oh, this looks like this is, he's moving in signs and wonders and power and miracles and authority. This man is going to take the kingdom. He's, he's the Messiah. He's going to establish the political kingdom that, that, we, that we've been praying for and waiting for for all these years. They're getting, they're getting excited. They're counting the stars. And this is what Jesus says. Turns to them and says, if anyone wants to come to me, if anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And like everybody's like, uh, that's me. Uh, I don't hate my mother and father, brother and sister. And Jesus doesn't even let them finish. He goes on. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first 
and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Man. Jesus is gangster. <coughs> this was not a popularity contest for him. You see, he, he didn't want thousands and multitudes just following him, excited about the stars. He was turning to them and being like, you need to, you need to all count the cost. because You do not know what it will take to see those stars. You do not know what it'll take to get those plans and dreams and visions to pass. Check this out. Look, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? Count the cost. That's what he's saying. Count the cost. He's not telling us to hate our family members. But he's making this hyperbole, this extreme statement to make a point. Even if it costs you your family, you got to be willing to follow me. Do you understand? Even if it costs you your own life, you got to follow me. That's what it's going to cost. Are you willing to count that? Are you willing to pay that? Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus saying? He's saying count the cost. And then Jesus makes these examples of counting the cost. When a businessman wants to build a skyscraper, <coughs> what must he do first? He better count the cost. All right? I mean, how foolish would it be if you see a construction site and they build all, they spend millions of dollars to build up into the third floor of a 60th floor building and then they never complete it. And all the neighbors of, the, of Mapugu or whatever where you live, they come around and they say, Oh, yeah, I know, the, I know the fellow who tried to build this building. This guy was stupid. He, he started building. He didn't even count the cost. He didn't realize that he wasn't willing to pay the rest of the, rest of the money. What a st stupid, like, building and move this guy made. Or, or Jesus says, another example, when a king goes out to war, what must he do first? He's got to count the cost. Every major decision, brothers and sisters, we make in our lives, we often count the cost. And Jesus is saying that following him and his plans is the most important decision you'll ever make. Don't make it cavalier. Don't make it carefree. If you're really serious about it, you better make sure you've counted the cost and you're willing to pay it. You know, when I stepped up to be the lead pastor of JSCM last year of New Philadelphia here. You know, I counted the stars. Got real excited. Me pastoring a church? Oh, that's a crazy church. That's one crazy church. But yeah, I, I can see a lot of good things coming out if I get to pastor. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to do this. And it'll be like, I, I was thinking more like a, it'll be a multimedia church because, you know, and I have some multimedia background. I'll be like, yeah, you know, we're going to have the hottest website we're going to have like video media presentations every week you know all the stuff I, I i started counting these stars but you know what i had to also count the cost i knew my saturday nights would no longer be free what you think you think this these messages just pop out of nowhere <laughs> right when you go to a restaurant you you order food what do you do you sit down and you wait Unless you're in Kimbap Chungo, it comes out really quick. But most restaurants, they call it slow food, not fast food. They call it slow food here in Korea. Why? Because it, it takes time. But in the back, what's the dude doing? He's cutting up the you know, recipe and all the ingredients and he's putting together the meal. That's what the preacher does. Every Saturday night, I lose sleep because I've got to prepare a meal for y'all. Do you like what you're tasting today? Sorry, I might, I might be turning up the heat a little too much. I might burn some stuff. Now I'm playing. Um, I knew that my Saturday nights would no longer be free. I knew that some of my friendships would be strained and maybe even lost. 
in college, I, I, I stepped up to be the, the president of Korea Campus Crusade at NYU in my junior year. Usually it's a senior that usually gets that position. I knew that if I stepped up into that position of leadership, because two people had already said no, and I was the third choice. And they asked me. I knew if I said yes, there would be a cost to it. I knew I would lose my friends. And you know what? The following year, I lost all my friends. They stopped calling me. They knew how busy I was. They knew I couldn't do some of the things that they were, they were doing. You know, I made them feel just shameful if I hang out with them. Because they were doing shameful things. And I was no longer living like that. It was a cost. I lost my friends. And I knew being a pastor, I would lose some friends. People close to me. I would be criticized. That's a cost. I'll be slandered, misaligned. That's a cost. And I get these like random Facebook messages sometimes from, from some of my homeboys back in New York. And they slam me. I got a seminary degree. You don't, Christian. Here's what I think. They just slam me. It's a cost. But you know what? When I close up that email and I try to reply with love, bless them. <laughs> bless and do not curse. I love you, bro. But. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I pray. I, I sit down and I pray. Lord, I'm willing to pay this. And I'm willing to pay it joyfully. Because I know that even though they can't see, you're doing mighty work in my life. And this is the cost involved with what you're doing in my life right now. If I didn't count all these costs in advance, you know what? I would have quit. I would have quit six months ago. But it's just, Jesus does not want disciples who are enthusiastic about their call, but are quitters when times get tough. But this is what happens when people count the stars but fail to count the cost. And you know what? On the other hand, Jesus does not want disciples who are committed to suffer and to pay the price but are joyless and small in their faith. But that's what happens when people count the cost but they fail to count the stars. Jesus is looking for disciples who both count the stars and count the costs. Amen? Hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, if you think that God has no call for you, I want you to turn back. Genesis 15, 5. Turn back to Genesis 15. And we're going to close with this. Genesis 15, 5. The promise that God made to Abraham that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky is not just talking about the natural children that would be born to Abraham. It's not talking about natural children. You see, the word of God is very specific. It's like the fine print of a legal document. We've got to read it carefully. Because there's rights there. You know, sometimes, you know, you get like your American Express or your credit card, you know, state, uh, your credit card policy and all these like fine print. Who, who reads that? Nobody ever reads that. Right? But man, if you ever read the American Express, uh, the blue uh, card members, if you, read, if you read the rights and privileges of the card members, man, it's crazy, man. They got some crazy rights. For the first time ever, there were three um, fraudulent transactions made on my account this past week from um, some online dating service called True.com. Okay. I did not make those charges. <laughs> <coughs> Well, you know what? I called them up, and you know, and they were, and they were like, "Well, you, you got these rights and privileges. They're, they're contained in your policy, uh, sir. You don't even have to worry about it. We'll take it right off for you right now, instantly." They credited me back with the, with the charges, right? And the word, God, word of God is just like that. There's all this fine print here. Nobody takes the time to really look through it. But if you really look through it, man, there's all these rights and privileges. <laughs> hallelujah! I'm getting excited. Hallelujah. So let's, let's read this fine print very carefully. Look at this. Verse 15, 5. It says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, pro Abraham probably understood that word offspring to mean his children and his grandchildren. 
his great-grandchildren, whatever, right? But God is saying more than just that. In fact, the word offspring here, it can be also translated seed or descendant. And it's in the singular Hebrew form. It's the singular form. So if, if God was just talking about offspring, the natural offspring, he might, have made, he might have made it plural, but God doesn't. He intentionally keeps it singular. And what you'll find is God is not simply making promises about Abraham's natural children, but God is making promises about his son Jesus. So shall your offspring be. So shall your seed be. So shall your descendant be. What is that descendant? Who is that descendant? And God is saying, it's not just an Abraham's natural children. Talking about my son who's going to come into the world through his lineage. So count the stars, if you can count them. So shall your descendant, my son, Jesus Christ. He will be, hallelujah, numerous as the stars, blessed to be a blessing to all nations. He will possess the promised land. All right, check this out. If you are uncomfortable with that interpretation, all right, don't, talk to, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Apostle Paul. I didn't, I didn't make it up. Turn to Galatians 3.16. When, when with this? Galatians 3.16. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is who? Christ. Who is? Hallelujah. Who is Christ? This is referring to Genesis 15.5. Christ is the offspring of Abraham that has inherited the great promises made to Abraham. And now Christ freely distributes these promises to all who are in Christ. Once again, if you have a problem with that interpretation, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Bible. Because all I did was read Galatians 3.29. Look at 329. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring or his seed or his descendant. Somebody say, I am Abraham's seed. seed. And if you are Abraham's seed, then you are heirs according to promise. The promise made to Abraham thousands of years ago. It's the promise that you and I inherit in Christ. So next time you say, I don't have a call in my life. God has a call for all these other people. God might have a call for you, but he doesn't have a call for me. I look at my life. My life's just a mess. Where's God? How come he hasn't been speaking to me? You might might start to doubt whether even God has a call for you, brothers and sisters. I'm here to tell you today. That's a lie of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. As long as you don't believe that God's a call for your life, you're not going to seek out that call. You're not going to want to develop a sense of call. And you're just going to live with a tiny little dream, tiny little vision, and you're going to have tiny little influence. But sisters, because we are in Christ, we inherit all the great promises given to Abraham. That we will possess the gate of our enemies. That we will be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. That we will be as numerous as the stars. That we will possess the promised land. See, sometimes I got to scream it. It goes in, actually, a little better for some of y'all. Other people, you shut up. You're like, stop screaming at me. Come on, listen to this. 
Hallelujah. Well, let me say it calmly. Well, sisters, God will cause you to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Amen? Amen. God will give us the promised land. Amen? Amen. Do you believe it? Hallelujah. In Christ, all these promises are yes and amen. So let us count the stars and count the cost and live our lives in a manner worthy of the call that God's given us. Let's pray. I'm going to ask all the deacon board to come up forward. Lord Father, we just thank you that that Lord, um, you have given us these great and wonderful promises that you put a mighty call on our lives. And God, Lord, you challenge us to count the stars, to see the scope and magnitude of the amazing plans that God, that you have for our lives. And God, Lord, we are just so excited. Lord, our faith rises up to meet Meet the promises you're giving us, oh God. And Father God, oh, we just thank you that, Lord, that not only do you tell us to count the stars and show us these amazing plans, but God, you, you called us to count the cost. But before you told us to count the cost, you also counted the cost yourself. For the great promises, there was a great cost. And you sent your only son to pay a great cost. So that all these promises we would inherit. Father, we just praise you for that. We just thank you for that. May we live our lives rising up to the bigness, the greatness of your call for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.